Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. It is free, and we would love to have you as part of our community. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast app, or you can do it through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we share all of the past episodes, as well as the guest bios, and show notes, and contact information. So be sure to check that out and sign up for our monthly newsletter. So now, without any further delay, I would like to introduce today's guest, who is not only a culinary school graduate and chef, but also a fellow podcaster with her own show. Those are just a few of the topics we want to talk about today. With that said, it is my pleasure to introduce Chef Danielle Benson to the show. Danielle, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you're coming to us from Ontario, Canada today. I'm here in Florida, so we're a little bit opposite sides there, (laughs) uh, north and south. Uh, Is that where you went to culinary school as, as well in Canada? Yes, I went to a very small college in a very small town with a really amazing culinary program. Great. And was that a certificate, two-year, four-year? Was it in culinary? Was it in baking and pastry? Uh, It was culinary management. I had gone for the two-year program, um, and then some life stuff came up, and I ended up only going for the one year. It's a culinary skills program, but you still get a certificate and all that kind of stuff, too. Great. And when did you know you wanted to go to culinary school? Has it been a passion your whole life or is it something that came more recent? Um, I started in culinary uh, just before my daughter was born, actually. And then after she was born, I realized, you know, I had started getting into family restaurants and stuff. And I started, you know, wanting more financially for my daughter. And I decided, you know, I should try to fix my skills up a little more than just family restaurants and actually you know, learn about the mother sauces and culinary techniques that were more than just basic line cooking and prep. Um, So then I decided to go to culinary school and that was uh, 2018. Great. So when you got to culinary school, did you, did you, was it a realization that, wow, I don't really have the skills and I'm glad I'm here? Or was it the opposite? Like, wow, I already know all this stuff. Why am I here? (laughs) Um, It was a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, I, I kind of thought I knew a lot more, but it was also a bit of a culture shock because <clears throat> all of the people in culinary school were, you know, 18. And, you know, I was a little like, you know, I'm still fairly young, but <laughs> definitely older than them. I had a, a kid, I had this whole life and rent to pay. And it was just very different going as an adult. Um, but then I did find that I, at the beginning, I knew most of the basic stuff, but I realized looking through the curriculum, because they always give you the syllabus that, you know, at the end of it, I was going to start learning things coming into second semester that I really wanted to learn and I hadn't, um, you know, learned before. But, you know, the first couple of weeks were, okay, here's how to hold a knife, you know, like, (laughs) that was pretty basic. (laughs) Now, did they give you knives? Some schools give you knives and equipment and uniforms? 
they did give us knives, um, but we obviously had to pay for them. But I was lucky enough to actually get a scholarship from the company that makes the knives. So mine were technically free. <laughs> oh, good. So did you already have good knives? Because that's always a, a kind of a pleasant surprise when people go because they get usually pretty good quality equipment that is given to them or it's part of your tuition, right? You get the tongs, you get the maybe the thermometers, you get knives. And they're usually, you know, pretty good compared to what people may have had at home. How was the knives you got? Um, I I have used better knives than the ones we got at culinary <laughs> school. But of course, when you're working in actual restaurants, you know, people invest in their knives because that's it's their an extension of their hands, basically. So, yeah. you know, but I, I wasn't upset with, you know, the kit came yeah. with a lot of stuff and it was a decent enough knife to to get us through it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good starter set usually. And then you can always add to those if you don't already have those. So you had experience before then you said in family restaurants and, and, and other places like that. How was that real life compared to when you got to culinary school? <laughs> it's drastically different. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I started at a really, really big catering company in a huge city and I was doing school lunches for children and delivering hot meals to kids for lunch and, you know, very basic stuff. I mean, cutting, you know, celery and tomatoes, making spaghetti. I mean, it's like kids don't <laughs> eat, you know, like crazy fancy stuff. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, kind of just working my way through. But even at when I started, um, there's a, a big school in the city I was working in at this catering company. And they would bring in loads of culinary students to um, do their co-op placements. And I found all the time, you know, I was constantly asking them to hurry up because we have these deadlines. And, you know, in culinary school, you have a three-hour lab to prepare one meal, right? So, right. you know, there wasn't that sense of urgency of like, okay, I know it's catering. We can be a little slower. But, you know, I couldn't imagine going from that environment to working straight on a line that, you know, is very urgent. Right, right. Yeah. Because culinary school, though, you know, you have 20 in a class. You're all making a meal, maybe three, four entrees. Someone's on green beans. Someone's on fries. Yeah. <laughs> you got the whole time. So, yeah, it's a big difference there. Um, did you have a favorite class in culinary school that you went through, one that stood out? Um, I think given what, um, what I am doing now for my podcast, um, the favorite one that I had was called something something about food cultures um and it was really cool because the the chef who taught it was irish so you know he had been all over you know the world and he had these experiences that he could share with us and this wasn't even part of the culinary curriculum it was actually um an elective that anybody in the college could take so it was really cool for you know a someone who was going to be a mechanic or an engineer to be able to take a class on food cultures and especially because we had a lot of international students so it taught us a lot about each other and we got to try really weird stuff i think he brought in he brought in crickets and there were there were there were some strange things that got brought in that's for sure wow so he brought in like you know practical things to eat and and taste like these crickets how did you eat those they're often dipped in chocolate but i'm sorry, <laughs> is that what he did <laughs> um i believe they were seasoned and fried with lime i don't know they were actually not bad i was not fond of the idea but um, we also had one of our classmates brought in salted 
cod and ackee, which I had never tried before. And that was really good. And a delicious breakfast first thing in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big Jamaican. I think it's a Jamaican national dish. Yeah, it was really, really good. And then he also had us try, um, he got like five different kinds of chocolates and had us try all of them starting from the darkest chocolate to the milk chocolate and the white chocolate. And you can honestly just taste so much sweetness on your tongue by the time you get to the milk chocolate. You're like, I never want to eat this again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so much sugar. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you really like chocolate? Do you like sugar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, was this an academic based class? So he was doing this tasting in like a classroom or was this in a lab? It was in a classroom. So he was able to do slideshows and presentations and actually let us watch movies because a lot of uh, food culture is kind of represented in documentaries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, the testing was more so um, we had to write a paper um, and it was my favorite paper I've ever written, which kind of led me into my podcast, actually, where he wanted us to write a paper about one of the staple food items throughout you know all of humanity so it was like the potato rice uh corn um squash like the three sisters and uh, i ended up picking rice which was probably a horrible choice because it was supposed to be a five-page paper and it turned into about a 25-page <laughs> paper because the history of rice is just so insane but it was so fun to learn where it's come from and how it's influenced all of our our lives so much and still does today. Sure. Yeah, you could pick a, a specific rice, you know, jasmine, basmati, and still write, you know, pages. Yeah. pages. So you picked the whole topic. <laughs> Fun. Um, so you talked about your podcast. Let's jump ahead. Let's go right into the podcast. Now, how did culinary school influence what your podcast subject is? Because I know it's um, – you know, it's popular. I've listened to a lot. It's the Kitchen Survival Guide. Why don't you tell the listeners about it and, you know, where the inspiration came for it? So basically, the Kitchen Survival Guide is I created it almost like a free culinary school, if that makes sense. Um, I, I realized I had learned a lot from culinary school, but I also didn't feel like, you know, I mean, people pay tens of thousands of dollars to attend culinary school. And, you know, I was frustrated that I spent all this money and I was like, you know, okay, great. Sure. I had experience going into it, but I didn't feel satisfied with what I had learned. I felt like I still had so much to learn about food and I really wanted to go and take my red seal test. And I wanted to go do all these other things and get these certifications, but I couldn't motivate myself to study because it just became boring at that point, even though it was interesting stuff that I was learning. And I thought, well, if I'm sharing this with other people, and I'm sure other people who have gone to culinary school still feel like, you know, oh, I paid $10,000 and, you know, I still know nothing about, you know, like how rice has influenced our whole world, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just basic things like that, where it's not even necessarily practical skills, but also just general knowledge about food, because it hits on so many different topics like anthropology, um, culture. Uh, science. I feel like uh, not a lot of food science was taught to us actually in culinary school, more so in like the baking sides of things. But I really, um, some cooks just cannot bake and that's me. So, um, but basically, yeah. So I, I made this podcast to kind of share with everyone and it's also a good resource I feel like, or will be eventually once we get into covering more topics on how to actually cook rather than just food history. But 
um, it could be a really good resource for people who are just cooking for the first time and really basic, you know, and a lot of people now with COVID are starting to cook from home um, and some people for the first time and they have no idea where to start or what they're doing or, you know, coming up with dinner for, you know, the 380th time is just right. a hassle, right? So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly just hoping it helps people and it, it's helped me learn crazy amounts so far and we're only like less than 10 episodes in so yeah well they say the best way to learn something is to teach something right yeah. you're gonna have to do some of that research yourself from you know preparation for your show so i'm sure you're you know learning and gleaning stuff from that knowledge as well before you pass it on yeah for sure um do you find the people that are following subscribing to your podcast do you think they're just foodies there's someone that's you know brand new that just doesn't know anything about food and really want is dying for that knowledge or are they seasoned professionals or where you have a cross of everybody i think it's a little bit of everything but i have noticed that you know if i launch um we started a micro series about ancient China because the civilization existed for 4,000 years. So their food culture is ancient and it's so expansive. And, you know, it really needed a few episodes because so much of our world is based, like our food world now is based on um, Chinese food culture and Indian food culture. So these were my two main focuses. And as soon as I started coming out with episodes that were specific to certain regions, I found that I would get a lot more listeners from that region who were interested in learning about their own food culture. And that was kind of surprising. And I, honestly, like the majority of listeners are in the States, but I also have a lot of listeners from, you know, Denmark, Russia, Sweden, all these different places around the world where it's like, you know, a lot of people probably don't know where their food actually comes from and how it's influenced everything that they're eating today. Right. Right. Where can someone follow you? Why don't you give us the address or where your social media contacts right now? And then I can put those in the show notes as well. Sure. So uh, the website is ksgpodcast.com. And on there we have all of, basically it's formatted like a blog, but it's more of the curriculum for all of the shows. So as you're, you know, it's your preference. If you'd rather read, if you feel like that's your better, um, you know, the way that you learn better is through reading. You can use the blog type posts to follow that way and learn stuff, or you can um, click on the podcast tab and it'll come up with all of the episodes for the show. And you can have two tabs open. You can read along with it while you're listening to it. Um, and then we also have a Facebook group, uh, which is facebook.com slash groups slash kitchen survival guide. And in there, we actually were able to come up with modules and units that have the same blog post type format, but there's also quizzes and there's also other resources where we can put in videos and things like that so that you get kind of a full immersive, you know, I would say it's probably akin to attending a culinary school right now with COVID where it's all online anyway. So, um, you know, and, but it's free, so that's fantastic. And um, and the quizzes are there if you're, you know, in culinary school, you're trying to prepare for a test on something. If you're trying to take your Red Seal test, you can go through the quizzes from start to finish, or you just want to have your general knowledge tested, then yeah. there, that's there. Um, and then we also have, obviously, Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, and that one is at KSG Podcast. Great. So the main one is 
uh, KSG, which stands for Kitchen Survival Guide, ksgpodcast.com. Great. And so where did you start podcasting? Where did you get the experience? Where did you learn? How did you know how to get mics and, and, and I don't know, recording equipment and how to do this whole thing? Honestly, um, my dad was, uh, he had his own record label for pretty much my whole life. Really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't learn a whole lot about, I mean, sure, I learned a whole lot about the music industry. I didn't learn a whole lot about radio or broadcasting or anything, but in his free time, he does some recordings from home. So I I had thought about this and I had started the podcast using my phone. And then I realized, you know, listening back to it, I wanted a little better professional quality audio. So I, I had reached out to my dad and asked, you know, what kind of mic should I use? Like, how should I treat my room? You know, all the, all the, the basics. And obviously he came up with very uh, musician singer type responses <laughs> for all of those. So he said, you should talk to my friend because he's in, he's been uh, in radio forever and he's actually now making a living um, helping other people with their podcasts. So I had reached out to him and he said, yeah, what your dad said was great, but I would definitely recommend these <laughs> instead. So <laughs> that's the route we went. But it's been an interesting journey so far. And I think it's a never ending learning curve with some things, especially in terms of software and microphones. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the most tech savvy person there is, but. Well, you got dad to help you if needed, right? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want it or not, he's probably helping offering. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was, is he still in the record business? Does he have a studio now that he has access to or for recording or? Um, he mostly just does it for fun now. Um, he finally. You know, I, I mean, there's only so long that you can hold on to hopes of being a rock star. So, <laughs> uh, he he does still have his label, but he's kind of just scaled back the business and focused on a full time job that he has. But he definitely, you know, will go out and play with his band um, <laughs> in his spare time. And they have a hoot at it. I mean, you never get too old to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Good for him. Maybe someday he could be a podcaster like you and talk about <laughs> rock and roll and <laughs> Oh, yeah. He'd be great at it. He's got an awesome broadcast voice. Um, there's, it's so true that podcasting has just exploded. And I think COVID really, you know, helped with that. And I even, I'm sure you do too, I get a lot of questions from people like, how can I start? How can I get into pod? How can I be a podcaster? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning curve. It's fun. It's a hobby. But, uh, you know, there is, a, there is work involved to it as well. Yeah, a lot more work than I was expecting, to be honest, with the amount of research and editing. And I'm like, how is one person have I been doing this? You know, I'm going to have to probably branch out eventually, but right. <laughs> it's it's been interesting. Get a virtual assistant or something. Yeah, people don't realize it's three or four to one for a show. So like I do an hour show for this one. So it takes me four hours to edit it. Yeah. You know, that's a big chunk. And then you have your social media and then you got to do all the posting. So, you know, it's it's a lot in there that some people may not realize when they want to get into it. But it, it can be. It's very fulfilling doing podcasts. Well, the, uh, the one thing that hit me the most is that <laughs> everybody for their podcast, they want to have you know, great quality audio, but the problem is you spend so much time trying to make it sound like the audio was just perfect and not edited in the first place. <laughs> That's how, you know, and nobody, nobody notices or realizes unless, <clears throat> you know, they are actually doing this podcasting thing themselves. So <laughs> Right, right. And you got to have, and it all starts with good content, right? You got to have good content because all the, could sound the best, but if it's not interesting. Yeah. 
But yeah, I have, uh, had I had a lot of people asking me uh, about it, and I actually could, I'm probably like you, you answer the same question so many times, so many times that I actually made a free course on it. I put it on there. It's uh, Intro to Podcasting for the Hospitality Professional. Because those that are in our business, you know, that may want to start it as a chef or a restaurateur or someone in wine, you know, now they can take that little modules courses, kind of like you were just talking about with yours, with little quizzes and a certificate at the end, and they can learn all they want. So, and I've put that on my website. So I'll put that in the show notes too. So if someone's listening, thinking you may want to get into podcasting, well, here's a little uh, course for you to find out if it's really something that you want to do. That's awesome. So tell me uh, some good resources then for people that are studying at home, because you know now there is a lot of remote learning. Yours is a kind of a course uh, that they could study at home, like a little culinary school. What's some resources? Um, I would say it depends what you're trying to learn. I mean, if you're trying to learn actual culinary skills, I would say YouTube is an excellent resource as long as it's a chef who actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I have between me and my fiance, he's, he's a, a chef as well. So, you know, we have, he grew up in BC. So we have every culinary textbook under the sun that originated in Canada or elsewhere. So um, it's been, you know, I, we have entire shelves just dedicated to culinary textbooks. So I have a lot of resources there personally, which I figured, you know, why should someone else go out and pay $300 for one textbook instead of me being able to share that information in my own words and, and teach them that way? Because that is a lot of money. And I think combined, we probably have well over two, $3,000 worth of just textbooks. Um, but the other thing I found really helpful actually in doing the podcasting, there's a website called Scribd, which is spelled S-C-R-I-B-D. And it's pretty much any book you want under the sun, kind of like Kindle, but it's only $8.99 a month and you don't have to pay for the books on top of that. You already have immediate access to them. Wow. So I found a lot of really good books on there that I've been using for um, my episodes and they also include um, scholarly papers, academic research papers. So you can pretty much search up any topic. They have books, videos, and it's just kind of like an unlimited resource hub for whatever you're looking for, which is really great. That sounds awesome. I have to check that one out myself. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, the YouTube channel. You can find so much on YouTube. I was just changing my the blades on my riding lawnmower the other day. I had the YouTube out while I'm watching this guy show me how to do it while I'm doing the same thing. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is so helpful. There's so much info out there that you could find. It, you know, again, you want it to be an expert, not someone sending you down the wrong road, you know, the wrong path. <laughs> yeah. And there is so much information out there, if we think about it, at our fingertips, but we don't concentrate that information anywhere. So that was kind of, you know, like you could look up literally anything on Google or YouTube and find out how to do it, but it's a matter of being curious enough to do it. So, you know, once people start asking real questions and start challenging themselves to want to learn, there's a whole world of knowledge and education out there, honestly. Right. Yeah. I have a YouTube channel as well. And it's, uh, I try to take complicated cooking things and make it easier for those that just want to cook a meal and don't really want to go through the hard parts called like wicked easy cooking. And on there, I do cooking demonstrations and kind of a little bit of schooling in there, but really it's about getting the dish done. But that's so popular. I have one one I did on 
sous vide barbecue ribs, you know, because I have a sous vide immersion circle, has 180,000 views. Wow. And people are just like fascinated. So it's people start following that and, and watching you. And then they write and I say, what other kind of recipes do you want? So again, it's who's doing it, but it's also to the audience. I'm not doing it to professional chefs, even though I'm a, I'm a chef myself. It's like I went for a specific audience. So anybody out there looking or like with your show, you know, wants to learn about right now cultures and stuff. This resources out there. Just just go out and find and find someone that's legit and uh, just follow them. And it's usually all free. Yeah, that's the best part. You don't even have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, do it as a little entertainment. But speaking of podcasts, that's why I like those because the video you have to be there. Like I'm out there doing the the tractor blade, and I have to keep stopping and looking at the phone. But a podcast, you just put on your ear phones and you could be ironing, going for a jog, driving in the car. So it's a lot easier. You can do multiple things while you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm going to take a quick pause right now to tell you about our free recipe ebook. Hopefully, you've already requested and downloaded your free copy because the recipes are really awesome and are the favorite recipes of the season one guest chefs of the Culinary School Stories podcast. This recipe book highlights seven chefs who were guests of the podcast in season one. And each of those chefs contributed one of their favorite recipes for inclusion in the book. There's a recipe for shrimp and grits from Chef Nikki Patinio. There's a recipe for easy, homemade, sweet and spicy beer Pickles from Chef Jacob on Guiano. There's even a Filipino chocolate chip cookie recipe from Chef Joyce Kalayag, who sent it in from the other side of the globe. And those are just a few of the delicious recipes that you can have for free. So if you want to get your very own copy of these favorite recipes, just go to the shortened link bit. Dot Lee, you know, the bit.ly shortened link, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash culinary school recipes. So that's H-T-T-P-S colon backslash backslash B-I-T dot L-Y slash culinary school recipes. Click on that link and you can download this recipe ebook. And I'll also leave the link in the description so you can just click on it there as well. And after you try these recipes, send us an email with your comments. How did you like the recipe? How did they turn out? Did you make any changes or even substitutions? And maybe even send us a picture of your finished dishes. Remember, we're all part of a community. And we all learn from each other and help each other. So let us know. You can send it to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Again, send your comments, send your pictures, culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or if you like, you can even leave us a voicemail to share your thoughts and comments. And that's at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. All righty. So now back to the show. So what was your, let's go back to culinary school. What was your least favorite and what was your favorite? And you hit on those two highs and lows of your, you know, program there. Uh, least favorite was definitely baking. I am an awful baker <laughs> and 
But I will say that even though I am awful at baking, I somehow for um, our food service class, I always got stuck on either doing bread or soup or salad and pretty much nothing else. So I'm I'm going to open my own deli bakery or something <laughs> because I've perfected bread. I never need to make a loaf of bread again in my life. <laughs> but I mean, soups are very practical because a lot of restaurants do make, you know, a soup of the day. Yeah. So, you know, but I did already know how to make soups before getting to culinary school. But I do think the chef knew that I had experience and I knew how to make soups. So it was less likely for me to mess it up because it was the first course that was served, whereas another student might. Right. I mean, who knows? I have no idea. I'm not a culinary instructor. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you said you weren't satisfied, though, with culinary school. And that was because, you know, it's a lot of money, right? A lot of time you're putting in. You didn't get everything you, you, you wanted. Do you think it was because of the specific courses or it just wasn't long enough? Like if you had the two years or the four years there, you would have, you know, gleaned what you wanted out of school. Or do you still think culinary school isn't a good return on your investment? Um, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because if it was, say, a four-year program, you could definitely fit in everything. I mean, not literally everything about food, but, you know, uh, quite a lot more um, than in just a two-year program. And I, because I had to drop out in just before the second semester of the, the last year of the two-year program, I, I missed out on a lot of stuff that I actually wanted to learn. Um, a lot of it included wine and spirits and pairing wines with foods, stuff like that. And also a lot more management stuff, you know, how to order things and how <laughs> all, all the paperwork mm -hmm. type stuff, food costing, all that, whatever. Right. So, right. you know, but then I think about it now and it's like, okay, so maybe there wasn't necessarily a podcast like mine where it was a free culinary school and maybe mine still isn't a full curriculum, but I have all of these books. I have all of these, you know, resources at my fingertips, all of this free information that's out there all these YouTube videos that I could be looking up and learn myself. And it's a really great way for a home cook to learn, but it's not necessarily a great way to learn professionally. So on the other side of that, you're like, okay, well, I could just go work in a restaurant and apprentice under someone who is very qualified and probably learn just as much, if not more. And I think you kind of reach a point in your culinary career where you kind of have to decide, okay, am I learning more from my schooling or am I learning more from the people who have this much experience and they have so much more to offer me because they've been doing this for so long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because in schools, oftentimes that first year is the fundamentals, right? That's the foundation they're teaching. So, and then you start getting into a lot of the more advanced, sometimes the more exciting stuff because now you're applying that. So that first year, especially coming in with experience like you did, Probably a lot of it was like, uh -huh, I already know this and never got that chance to get to that second part of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that really irked me with the whole thing was that I missed egg day. So they had planned a specific day just to focus on eggs, which is so important. You've got your hollandaise, your poached egg, your fried egg, scrambled egg, everything, your omelets. So then, of course, I'm just so mad at myself because uh, my daycare lady hadn't pulled through. I had to stay home with my daughter. Uh. And I'm like, that was the one day I wanted to learn because I wanted to get into doing brunch at the restaurant. So I'm sitting there just beating myself up. 
So I went home and I was so mad and I spent probably five hours watching YouTube videos on how to make omelets and researching and going through my culinary books. I'm like, I cannot leave culinary school without knowing this, even if it's my own fault. Ah, yeah, that's too bad. So would you ever go back now? Like, oh, now that I have the time, money, space, whatever, would you go back and now it's too far gone? Like, no, you're already past it. Um, I think considering I was only missing the last semester and technically I'm able to downgrade it to just a one-year degree, I don't think I would bother because even that one semester might be $2,000 or whatever it is, plus cost of daycare, plus everything else just to live as a student. And ultimately, when people are hiring in restaurants, even if I was hiring someone, I wouldn't particularly care if they've gone to culinary school or not, because I have seen people fresh out of culinary school when you tell them to, you know, okay, can you clarify a stick of butter? And then they throw it on the flat top and you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, some people out of culinary school literally have just come out of high school. They're 18. They know absolutely nothing, but practical experience, even if you worked at a McDonald's is going to tell me a lot more about you know, the person and their cooking skills. So I don't feel like having, you know, yes, although I do have a diploma, I don't feel like me having that on my resume is what people are looking for. I think they're looking for, you know, my experience. Okay. I worked at this restaurant and this restaurant, and this is what I specialized in doing. And the, the skills that I have that are practical culinary techniques. And the other big thing is chefs tend to hire their weaknesses. So if a chef really sucks at baking, they're probably going to want to hire someone who's better at baking than them. Or if they're more of a, uh, (laughs) I don't know how to really describe it, but I call them city chefs where they're just kind of, you know, they were 14 and got into the restaurant industry and, you know, got into the whole drugs and alcohol scene within cooking and all that kind of stuff. And, they just kind of learn these techniques that are really bizarre. And it's, you know, it's not the way you learn like classical French cooking in a culinary school. So there are these people who are trained uh, in very different ways and do things very precisely, whereas other people, you know, have the mindset that there's no right or wrong way to cook. It's just whatever is most convenient or fastest or, you know, efficient. And there's there's such a huge gap between those two kinds of people. And you call them city chefs because they kind of came up through the <laughs> working in the industry and didn't go to school. Yeah, kind of kind of like the the slummy chefs. If oh. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you you say your fiance is a chef. Did he go to culinary school? Yes, he went to culinary school in BC. And what is he? What are his thoughts on it? Did he finish all the way? Did he think it was valuable or, or no? He kind of ended up the same route as me, actually, where um, he was just like that shy from finishing the program. But then he got a really great job offer out in Alberta and decided to take that instead because he knew, you know, okay, I only have X amount left of my program, but I could be getting way more valuable experience actually working with this chef who's, you know, got tons of experience. So, you know, but I honestly comparing, um, he's shown me his like culinary transcripts from high school and even just the courses that they had at his school. And they were actually operating out of a legitimate restaurant and getting experience that way. And I feel like he had a way better culinary experience than I did and way better courses out there, but it was also a a big city and, you know, a lot more students and just more funding for these programs. So Mm -hmm. We're a small town culinary school. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so can you talk about your feelings or thoughts regarding certification then? Because like here we have the American Culinary Federation up there. You have the Canadian and you just talked about uh, Red Seal and getting certified. What are your thoughts on that? And is culinary school needed for that or not? Um, I think it's a good foundation. But here with your Red Seal certification, you can actually challenge it, which is what me and my fiance both plan on doing. Because we have gone to culinary school, but we we missed our window to be able to take our red seal through culinary school, but we can challenge our hours. So if you have enough experience, it's a more difficult test. But if you can have someone, you know, that you've worked with, a chef to sign off on your hours, and it has to be accredited chef who has their red seal as well, um, then you're able to take this test and challenge it. And if you pass, then you can get your red seal. So I think that's great, but I also think it's kind of bogus that we have to get it in the first place <laughs> because it's it's a a theory test. Wow. It's it's a test to see if you can out of these four questions. Um, if you can answer the one that's most correct. And none of that is going to say anything about me as a chef. You're not watching me cook. Yeah. I'm not presenting you with any dishes. It's just a paper, you know, saying, okay, I, I know how to make a hollandaise w with, you know, choices A, B, C, or D. Um, and the basic ingredients that go into it. So I think a lot more people have their certifications than should probably. Um, but then when you get higher up into the ranks, they have um, master chef, um, chef de cuisine certifications, all these kinds of things. And they do actually make you cook food, but not many people go for those certifications because they're a lot more difficult. They're practical tests. They're, you know, um, they require a lot more knowledge and a lot more experience. So um, ultimately, my fiance wants to become a culinary instructor and he wants to be able to get all of these certifications. But, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of hours, a lot of training <laughs> um, yeah. and a lot of chasing down other chefs to get them to sign off on your hours, too. <laughs> So that first level is just theory. There's no practical. It's just if you have some knowledge about the industry, they give you that first level and then you go up from there. Yeah, basically, um, I think most of it's a long test, but most of it focuses on certain aspects. So you have butchery, food safety and sanitation, which is probably really tricky because they're asking you actual temperatures that you have to remember. And you probably have to remember them in both Fahrenheit and Celsius because our system is ridiculous. <laughs> and honestly, that's the funniest thing because in Canada, we use Celsius for cold things and then we use Fahrenheit for hot things. So if something's in the really? oven, yeah, it makes no sense. So if something's in the oven, we'll use it at like 350 Fahrenheit, but we would never use Celsius on an oven because they're not built that way. They all come manufactured <laughs> from the States. So, but then if we're measuring like, okay, what temperature is it in the fridge? It's in Celsius. It makes no sense. We're so ridiculous. So take the fries out of the freezer at zero degrees <laughs> Celsius and throw it into the 350 <laughs> degree Fahrenheit fry. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> it, it sounds wow. ridiculous, but it, it works for us, I guess. Okay. So let me see. How was it with, um, in culinary school when you were with the other people you were older you were a female was it mostly males was it mostly f you know the females were they older were they right out of high school you know was there any favoritism anything like that going on um 
there was a lot of younger um, 18-year-olds just out of high school. So that was different. And then there were also people who were a lot older than me. I was kind of in the middle. So I kind of just made friends with everybody, which was really nice. And everybody seemed fairly understanding. You know, there was the casual drama here and there, but they're teenagers and I didn't care. um, But there was also, I found it was um, interesting culturally as well you know, it, it was really, really great, you know, getting to know these people and from all different backgrounds. Um, and, you know, I was probably one of five adults um, in the class, but the other adults were, you know, quite a bit older than me, which is fine. <laughs> They're still cool people. Um, and they wanted to be, get a, a career in, in food service and restaurants and cooking? Yeah. Everybody's stories were honestly really, really cool. Um, there was... One lady who was working at uh, Tim Hortons. I don't know if you guys have that down there. I think it's a donut shop or something, donuts? Yeah, it's it's our coffee shop. It's like our Dunkin' Donuts, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, and she was working there, and she wanted to get her, uh, her culinary certification so that she could um, – she wanted to work at uh, retirement homes cooking. And then there was uh, – another woman who wanted to open a bed and breakfast. She had gotten much older and had decided she wanted to retire, but she was, you know, amazing hospitality this woman had. So she wanted to open her own bed and breakfast. And I thought that was really cool. Um, And just, just so many different stories that were honestly really fascinating, but you know, there was actually only one guy in our class, which was super odd because usually it's mostly guys. Um, but our class ended up being very small. I think we started with about 20 kids. And then by second year, there were only 12 of us. Wow. So it, it was a pretty big drop. And I think a lot of people straight out of um, high school just didn't have the ambition. It was kind of like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So my mom said, I'm going to go to chef school, mm. right? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have any of these skills. I saw it on TV. It looked cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's all the rage right now. You know, all these cooking shows and people are like, oh, I can be a chef. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot more that goes into this than you think. <laughs> <laughs> How were the instructors? Were they what you expected? Were they mean? Were they great? Would they have a lot of background? You mentioned the a chef from Ireland. How are the other ones? And any of them you want to give a shout out to? Or There were some really cool instructors. I mean, they weren't, you know, I was kind of more expecting a little like Gordon Ramsay type situation, but it definitely wasn't <laughs> like that. Um, they, they were all really, really nice people. Um, and very kind-hearted, but you know they were still able to be tough and push you when when you needed to be pushed, which could be frustrating, but mm-hmm. it was rewarding because you, you didn't know that you needed it, and they could see that in you. Um, and uh, one of the chefs had actually hired me. He he did um, catering for weddings and big events and stuff, so he had hired me for that. And he had also offered me a job um, in the winters. He worked as a chef at a ski lodge, and he had offered me a job there. And I, you know, found something different that was a little bit closer. But he was super understanding. Um, and there was another chef that had worked at. Um, I think it was Red Lobster for a really, really long time. So just honestly hearing some of his stories and he's such a funny guy, such a funny guy and like very personable, but he taught us most of our, our management skills. So our food safety, sanitation, food costing classes, all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. but it was nice to be able to sit down in a classroom with an instructor and, and not be worrying about, 
you know, doing all this cooking and stuff at the same time, we could actually ask his experience and learn things that way rather than, you know, kind of being surrounded by pots and pans and unable to hear each other over the hood vents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was reading your bio, and it's, I see here that you made, you suffered from anorexia. How was that going to culinary school? How did that have an impact on on how you saw food, how you worked with it, and and you, can you speak to that? In case someone's listening, that may uh, you know that may touch on them as well. Um, yeah, actually, uh, kind of started when I was about twelve, um, and finally, you know, things had gotten uh, pretty bad, and um, my mom. She was at a conference one day or some kind of event for her work, and she had run into the guy that does their catering. He's the the president of the company. And, you know, I, I think my mom was just so she was feeling so helpless about, you know, um, my mental health and, and everything that was happening with me. And she just kind of broke down and you know, like let loose and, and told him what was going on because he was like, Laurie, like, are you okay? Like, you know, what's happening? And, uh, and so she, she kind of confided in him and he was saying, you know, I totally understand. Um, I've dealt with things with my brother. Um, and, you know, my mom was explaining to me that I've had such a hard time finding a job because um, with mental health being kind of turmoil, it, it was really difficult to kind of stay, you know, with anything for longer than a couple months. And so he said, you know, here's my number, tell her to call me and we'll give her a job. And so I did. And this was at the catering company in the big city, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, and they were so understanding about my mental health. And it honestly went from me trying to control food um, and depriving myself of it to me finally having control over food where I could manipulate it in any way I wanted. It it almost, I, I didn't know how much I needed this in my life, but it almost like helped me conquer the disorder because I was able to finally have control over my food and stop depriving myself of it. And eventually that turned into you know, me wanting to go to culinary school and me working in restaurants full time. And um, a lot of what I was doing also, I was a vegetarian for a really long time, mainly because of the eating disorder, but also because, um, you know, in restaurants, I wanted to be able to help um, other people who had these different dietary restrictions, you know, um, gluten intolerance, vegan, vegetarian, there's all these different things popping up now. And from the start, from the catering company, they had me specializing on, there was this preschool that we delivered to, and there were a few kids that had the most ridiculous allergies. Like there was one kid that was allergic to peanuts and nuts, and then also allergic to like soy. So we couldn't even give him like peanut alternatives. Um, he was allergic to fish and strawberries and all, all these ridiculous things. And it, it was a lot. So I was the only one that they trusted to actually handle um these things so that literally a child wouldn't die um, and paying so much attention to it. And in doing that, you know, that kind of carried over to the other restaurants that I worked at and, and just being very, very hyper conscious of, you know, people's dietary restrictions. And we, we started to come up with a rule, um, you know, you would ask the person, is this an intolerance or an allergy or is this a preference? Because I swear the amount of times, you know, my parents would go into the restaurants and be like, I'm allergic to tomatoes. I'm like, you're not. You just don't want them in your salad. <laughs> 
and it just drives you bonkers, especially when you're, you know, someone who's that conscious of, of restrictions and, and allergies and stuff. And you take all the precautions to like clean down your cutting board or get a new one, clean your knife and all this stuff that you're doing and completely flipping your workspace for one person. And they're, they lied to you about it. You know, it's so frustrating. So we decided to ask, you know, is it, is it a preference or is it an allergy? <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get sick or, you know, have to go to the hospital because of it or you just don't like it. Yeah, honestly. Well, that's great that, you know, that food helped you conquer that and, you know, and then it ended up being your profession. Yeah, it's it's honestly been a really wild roller coaster of a <laughs> of an experience. And, you know, I think a lot of times I was kind of embarrassed or ashamed to tell people where, you know, how I got started because it's kind of a little um direct when someone's like oh how'd you get into culinary and you're like oh i was anorexic and they're like what right. you know like that that's a lot of information to take in and you don't want to overshare with people but you know i had also the the original idea when i had started my podcast when i didn't know what i wanted to make it about you know i thought wow like how am i going to talk to people about this because it's so important for people to know um, you know, if they are suffering from an eating disorder. Um, and one of my life goals is, you know, if I ever somehow found magically a million dollars would be to start a rehab program for people with eating disorders. That's basically having them in the kitchen so that they can feel like they have control over these things. And, you know, maybe it just helped me. I don't know, but I feel like, you know, it could help somebody else, but it was it was really difficult because I had put off podcasting for almost two years because I was like, how how can I be credible in this if I can't even share my story? Oh, yeah. You know, and and it it became really difficult. But you know, finally I decided, you know, okay, well, what if you know nobody needs to know anything about me? <laughs> we can just get started, right? So eventually it happened. But I was like, you know, sometime in the future, I feel like it is important to be vulnerable with your listeners and vulnerable with other industry people so that you know they can see where you've come from and how far you've come and you know how they can best work with you is is a really important one in terms of mental health. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true and and you're the host so they 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 make a connection with you and and then they're going to want to know you even more about you. So, you know, and it's I think it's probably healthy for yourself to share too, you know, get that story out there and help others. Yeah, for sure. So what's next for you? What do you besides finding that million dollars? And if you do know where to look, let me know because I'd like to look there too. <laughs> but what's next for you in a year, five years? Where do you see yourself going? What's your what's your today? This sounds really weird, um, but I live in a small town, and I've been kind of flip flopped over all of the restaurants that we have here at this point. And as bizarre and backwards as it is to say, I think my next move would probably be corporate. <laughs> I think it would probably be you know um a big chain restaurant because i've never done it and and do a kitchen manager job there i feel like it could probably teach me a lot or get into something like you know distribution like cisco and become a sales rep for food um you know obviously the whole podcasting thing is a possibility if it suddenly magically takes off and but it's pretty hard to make those a full-time job. Right, right. <laughs> it feels like a full-time job. It just doesn't pay like a full-time job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's good. I think sales will be good. Corporate will be good. And uh, you, you're kind of place-bound there, too. You, you, Any opportunities to, to travel, to move, to try new, new, new locations? Um, actually, through culinary school, because that chef was Irish, um, he organized with another chef back in Ireland to have this program where students could do their co-op 
with him. I think it was a hotel, um, but it was either a six month program or like a year long or two year program or something like that. But obviously I had a small daughter and I was like, I can't just, she's supposed to start school next year. I can't just uproot her to Ireland for two (laughs) years. Like that's a little ridiculous. Um, But I appreciated the opportunity and I thought it was really cool. And I figure, you know, probably once our kids are grown up, we'll still be fairly young so we can, you know, travel and and work that way. That might be, you know, we'll probably be in our forties by then, but at least we then have the experience and we could even go, you know, work under of three Michelin star chef in France or, you know, whatever, (laughs) who knows? Maybe visit some of those places you talk about in your podcast. Yeah. Honestly, that would be super cool. I would love to travel the world one day and just experience these different food cultures. And um, I actually did a student exchange to France when I was in high school. So I did get a little bit of that food culture, but definitely not the, uh, you know, the food culture you think about because they don't actually go out to restaurants very often. So it was, you know, the food was basically just home cooked meals and stuff. So I never got to experience, you know, the, the bougie French lifestyle. But right, right. <laughs> the escargot and the frog legs. <laughs> Great. So as we come to the end of the chat today, before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you want to leave with the listeners? Something you want to share with maybe someone that wants to get into this industry or wants to go to culinary school? I would honestly say buckle down. It's a pretty wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's an amazing ride, but it also can be very emotional. It can be very stressful and it can take you away from your family. I mean, you have to be prepared for, you know, Every holiday where the rest of your family is together, you're spending it serving other people food. But, you know, there there is a sense of pride in it. And even if you never make a million dollars doing it, as long as you feel okay at the end of the day that you are helping other people and that you have the customer's best interest at heart, that it is worth it. But I would definitely recommend trying to get some practical restaurant experience while you're in culinary school yeah. so that you're not totally blindsided when you leave culinary school and try to get a job. And people will appreciate, you know, you at least somewhat knowing what you're doing when you get hired for your first job out of culinary school. So <laughs> Great advice. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to thank you, Daniel, for coming on the show and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. And we appreciate your advice, your honesty, and your inspiration uh, for, for all the listeners. And, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you so much. All right. Now, bye-bye. Bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know, and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.